It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. And welcome to the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. You know, every once in a while, I like to start out our podcast with the Pledge of Allegiance. So please stand up, take off your hat, put your hand over your heart, while L.A. City Councilman Kevin DeLeon tries to say the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Under visible, uh, pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Oh, For which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Proving once again in California that failing up is a real thing in leftist politics. Speaking of which, did you hear the one about the Washington state senator who, quote unquote, attended, using that word loosely, the Senate Transportation Committee meeting on Zoom? Listen very carefully. Thank you, Senator Wilson. And I think part of it is as we are moving into um, clean fuels, alternative fuels, um, you know, it doesn't, uh, you know, it's a cost. It's a burden. It's, you know, I'm driving my old vehicle right now. And uh, a lot of uh, Washingtonians, you know, uh, have to drive farther if they're in rural communities or if they're low income, they make do with their their uh, gas vehicle for longer and don't necessarily have the opportunity to be able to to buy a, a Tesla or a hydrogen Toyota. And so um, part of it is building the electric grid out um, so that we are putting that our investments, our public dollars to make it easier because also there's, you know, even if you choose it, if, depending on where you live, there may not be the infrastructure to be able to easily fuel up your new vehicle. But also that is, um, you know, as more folks uh, like school buses are no longer a thing in a lot you know, parts of our of my city and kids have to use the um, the light rail or the bus system or and so, you know, making sure that they have access to Orca cards, uh, you know, to bus fare. Um, and I think similar um, as uh, we figure out how do we get people, you know, that are, you know, we've heard we'll hear testimony from folks. So that's some of the things that we've put in there is making sure that as we're building, we're giving opportunities for small businesses to be part of um, building out our transportation. As Cairo Radio transportation reporter Chris Sullivan reported, Seattle Democrat Rebecca Saldana, quoting here, who's the vice chair of the Senate Transportation Committee, appeared to violate several traffic laws while participating in a live online committee hearing. Senator Saldana was clearly driving her car while answering questions from a fellow senator during Tuesday morning's hearing on the Forward Washington package, which is not to be taken too lightly, an $18 billion green transportation plan, which is a total money suck from every individual in the state of Washington. Chris didn't write that. I, I, just, I just said that part because it's true. It's the just transition to green energy, which is to say that if it's just, it's just us and no one else. So the biggest story of the week, let me get my notes here. Biggest story of the week is the Derek 
Chauvin trial, which apparently is pronounced Chauvin or Chauvin, which would have been helpful about a year ago to know that. But nobody else knew it either. So now we're all getting up to speed. But be that as it may, I am paying attention to a couple of legal experts on this case. One, of course, you've heard on this very podcast, Andrew Branca from Legal Insurrection and Self-Defense. And uh, he uh, couldn't come on today, but, 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 but he has provided us with some amazing information from the case because he's watching every scintilla of it. So, so listen to Andrew Branca and also Robert Barnes, who, of course, is Mike Strickland's uh, attorney for his appeals case, which is up in the federal court system. They're hoping to get cert in the U.S. Supreme Court. We'll see. And you'll hear about that coming up next in our uh, latest episode of Antifa versus Mike Strickland in our next episode of the Adults in the Room podcast. So anyway, you need to pay close attention to these defense attorneys because they're giving the defense moves the credit they deserve, which the mainstream media is not. While this is still, as of this podcast, the prosecution's case in chief, remember now these are hand-picked prosecutors, quote-unquote, but they're trial lawyers who were hand-picked by the Antifa-friendly, I'm not overstating that, Attorney General Keith Ellison. The lawyers are from Minnesota's biggest, most powerful law firms and have a cast of more than a dozen attorneys and research assistants, investigators, and office help against Chauvin's team or Chauvin's team of one attorney and an aide who goes through the files to get the pieces of evidence. A stark contrast. And as Barnes would say, this is a Soviet-style show trial, especially in view of what happened during last week's testimony when it was witness, quote-unquote, and we use that loosely, after witness of criers who came on the stand to cry over George Floyd and to castigate uh, the officer Chauvin. Now, okay, hear me out. This gets very interesting, and I'll try to combine all of the people I'm paying attention to and evidence in the case, including sound from the trial. So let's get into it a little bit. Now, as Bronca explained the last time with us on the Adults in the Room podcast, this is, to say the least, unusual for a judge to allow a parade of witnesses whose sole purpose is to, as they say, pound the table. There's not much going on there because there's not a lot of fact information there. It's just that they were sad and they were there and they were upset about George Floyd. And one guy that you heard on this podcast started crying. And, uh, you know, terrible, terrible. He he cried for a good long time. And um, he said, and the reason he did, we found out later, was because he was crying for mama. Uh, George Floyd was crying for mama, mama, mama. Get it? I mean, you know, his mom died four years before. Um, And then we also found out he actually calls his girlfriend, his fellow drug takee, mama. So it was uh, an interesting turn of events because we really don't know 
to whom he was appealing, his mother or his girlfriend, who was probably there recently, I mean, in that vicinity after they just scored drugs. But there's more on that. Her testimony was a real, people say, oh, it was great for the prosecution. And uh, Bronca says, uh, not so fast, not so fast. As he explained the last time, it's unusual for the judge to allow that parade of witnesses, that many people to pound the table and cry on cue. And here's the rub, because here is what you are hearing in the news. From ABC News Live, the death of George Floyd, Derek Chauvin on trial. Good evening. Day six of the trial of Derek Chauvin for the killing of George Floyd has ended, and it was a day focused on a crucial question. Was what former police officer Derek Chauvin did to George Floyd, kneeling on George Floyd's neck for more than nine minutes, consistent at all with the policies and training of the Minneapolis Police Department? Did anything on that scene during that arrest justify Chauvin's actions? On an extraordinary move, prosecutors called to the witness stand the chief of police in Minneapolis, Madaria Arredondo, and in no uncertain terms, speaking with the authority of his office and his decades of experience on the force, Chief Arredondo told the jury that Derek Chauvin acted completely beyond the bounds of police department rules and values. While the news media highlight the stories Headlines, chirons, and the like, the prosecution's case almost exclusively. You're not hearing the cross-examination and the subsequent calling into question assertions, claims made by the prosecution, the dangling questions left unanswered, hoping that the jurors will sort of fill in the blanks for themselves, as Bronco likes to point out. And it's you know left for them to fill in the blanks only to be followed by questions by Chauvin's attorney, the answers to which not only blow holes in the prosecution's case in chief and in the stories and re- recollections of the fact witnesses that they've had this week, especially so far, but to create doubt it's amazing and doubt about the expertise of the witnesses doubt about the timeline doubt about the training manuals and that which police officers are supposed to do in a case like this and the cause of death the cause the actual cause of death we don't know what killed george floyd one of the uh, medical examiners who examined his body said well If he had just been found in his apartment, I would have just chalked it up to an overwhelming overdose of fentanyl and the methamphetamine. And indeed, George Floyd, in fact, let me just, I've got his autopsy report right here. Hold on. I keep it around here. Ah, here it is. This is what George Floyd had in his system. Sorry, I didn't mean to just sort of make you wait that long. He had caffeine, codonine, hydroxy-delta-THC, delta-carboxy-THC, delta-9-THC, methamphetamine, fentanyl, norfentanyl, cannabinoids, amphetamines, and fentanyl and metabolite. I just keep it around just because people say, well, they don't know. Well, you know what? He had a 
huge amount of fentanyl in his system. And you know why? Well, we'll find out why as we go along here. So ABC News and all the other news agencies are reporting that the prosecution's just, you know, this is amazing. They, they're doing a fine case. And yeah, the, prosec- the defense is doing, eh, okay, blah, blah, blah. But guess what? The, this is a slam dunk. But you're not hearing the cross-examination information, subsequent calling into questions in the blowing holes in the story, because you know what that means? It's reasonable doubt, and the jury can hang based on that. Maybe. We're probably mm, a week out from the end of the trial, depending on how long the defense chooses to go. Nothing about the meaning of the cross-examination And as Bronca pointed out after Tuesday's testimony reading here from his blog over at Legal Insurrection, it was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day for the prosecution to a degree that I haven't seen since the trial of George Zimmerman. Remember, Zimmerman was the uh, quote unquote killer of Trayvon Martin. And we found out that Trayvon Martin is actually beating the snot out of George Zimmerman and he shot in self-defense. And Bronca goes on, if you have no more than an hour to watch the video of Tuesday's proceedings, then I urge you to spend the 44 minutes watching the cross-examination of state witness Johnny Mercil, the state's use of force training expert, and 22 minutes watching the cross-examination of Nicole McKenzie, the state's medical care training expert. And in both instances, the result can only be called a train wreck of a disaster for the prosecution. And you didn't get that from the earnest David Muir of ABC News, who concentrated on the police chief's testimony in which he said that Chauvin's neck hold was not right. Okay, fair enough. Oh, so Wednesday's <laughs> testimony, which I'll get to in just a minute, it is unbelievable uh, because uh, the, the police chief said, okay, let's just go there. Let's just go right to the police chief. So Bronca writes, um, another common routine from Prosecutor Schleider, one of the 12, 10 or 12 attorneys prosecuting the case, when doing direct on the state's witnesses who have purported use of force expertise is to show them the photo of Chauvin apparently, but perhaps not actually, kneeling on Floyd's neck and asking, is this an MPD trained neck restraint. And uh, Bronca says, invariably, the answer is negative, which is what all the television stations reported. Oh, this is amazing. The police chief said. Okay. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. It makes for a good headline, Bronca writes, but in fact, it's not very informative on the actual issue of the case. Now, listen up, because this is important, because the jury instructions are going to have to take a look at this issue. Just because a technique may not be MPD trained technique does not make it outside of policy. Does not mean it was legally unjustified. And certainly does not mean it contributed to Floyd's death 
which is what we thought the trial was supposed to be about, he alludes to. And the question of what killed him is in play, obviously. And the prosecution is not apparently doing themselves any favors by sort of dangling the idea and peppering the conversation and the questions with the word about asphyxia. Now, check it out. So did Chauvin's did Chauvin cause the asphyxia? The prosecution drops into the discussion during the trial. Where was his knee? Some witnesses and now the prosecutors are going back and forth between Chauvin's knee being on George Floyd's neck and his back. And we'll find out later his shoulder. So even the prosecution has changed its tune because the prosecution has seen the tape. And you remember that it was almost nine minutes that his neck was under the knee of Chauvin or Chauvin. Uh Uh-uh. That's what the defense is on cross-examination alluding to and, and, in fact, putting into the political bloodstream of this court proceeding. It is evidence. So there was testimony that Floyd was put in a so-called recovery position as well, which is very important because now remember all the crying witnesses said that it was on his neck and it was out for nine minutes and, you know, whatever. And guess what? And remember back now. Remember back the silence that was done by radio stations around the country for the exact duration of the period of the time that Chauvin's knee was supposedly on George Floyd's neck. The amazing I can't breathe responses um, and by, by professional athletes. Once again, we are told that something is X when it's really Y, and we'll go over some of that. Now, Bronca notes the skillful way in which prosecutors allow their witnesses to say just enough, to leave an impression, to allow the jurors and whoever's at home to fill in the blank. But what impression? Actually, this, Bronca argues, is a big can of worms. Why? Well, he talks about it on his legal insurrection um, video that he put out, and we'll have the link to, to that as well. Listen up. First, it's impossible to determine with any degree of certainty, much less beyond a reasonable doubt, that any of the physical actions of the officers, including Chauvin's knee, in the absence of any sign of a neck trauma, actually caused any degree of asphyxia. One can speculate that cause and effect, but speculation does not get one to proof beyond a reasonable doubt, at least not in the context of an evidence-based alternative explanation for asphyxia. And that's the second problem with this approach. That alternative explanation is, of course, Floyd's threefold fatal levels of fentanyl. Fentanyl overdose kills by inducing asphyxia because of the drug's effect on suppressing respiratory function as well as inducing foaming in the lungs. Now, of course, as we heard from the witnesses, including George Floyd's girlfriend, whom he called Mama, remember, that Floyd was sitting in his Mercedes SUV with a person you've never even heard of before. You did not even know George Floyd had someone in his car, his, it turns out, nice, nice, swanky Mercedes SUV 
and you didn't know who it was, you didn't know there was someone else, you didn't know anything, did you? It's because the media and the prosecutors and the police and the political class in Minneapolis have kept this from you, and you should be outraged about it, especially as if you, like I, had anguished over this man's death. And and I know better than most, and of course I would anguish over his death, clearly. And But when you find the circumstances of this bust and what happened that day, it should anger you because you have not been told the truth. Indeed, George Floyd's drug dealer was sitting next to him in the car, in the car, the SUV. He was sitting with him. And Hall's lawyer went before the judge on Tuesday and said, oh, hey, yo, uh, judge, I'm going to have my client take the fifth. Mr. Drug Dealer sitting in the car. And remember, in last time's testimony we talked to you about, George Floyd was ingesting those pills, which were a combination of fentanyl and meth, a a fatal cocktail. In fact, we'll get to that in just a second. So here's his attorney prevailing upon the judge. Please, I implore you to allow Maurice Hall not to testify at this trial because to do so would put him in a position to be accused of George Floyd's murder. Listen. And unfortunately, you don't have the benefit of having sat through all the testimony, but uh, it appears that this would be a proper invocation of his Fifth Amendment rights for just about everything Mr. Nelson was talking about. The one exception appears to be his observations sitting in the passenger seat of the car as how Mr. Floyd appeared, that he was falling asleep and that it happened suddenly. Would you agree that that's not incriminating if we keep all the mention of drugs or why or anything like that? No, Your Honor, I do not agree. That how that would that, not- when it did not incriminate the clerk who said he thought he was high, how would it be that Mr. Hall saying that would incriminate him? The whole point here is to prevent Mr. Hall from incriminating himself. And him even answering that question that he was in the car puts him in very close proximity with Mr. Floyd in very close in time before he's alleged to have ingested drugs. And again, it exposes him on that third degree murder charge. If there were to be a future third-degree murder charge and Mr. Hall was charged with um, basically being involved in this drug activity that had caused Mr. Floyd to pass away due to an overdose, him even being in that car um, incriminates him in terms of behaviors of Mr. Floyd, what he observed, when he observed it. So, no, Your Honor, I would um, argue that it definitely would um, expose him to potential incrimination. Wait a minute. Nobody ever told me that George Floyd's drug dealer was sitting in the in the car, much less any responsibility he may have taken for George Floyd's murder. He won't answer any questions because they may incriminate him. Why? Because he had given him drugs, drugs. His girlfriend testified last week had been given to both of them with near fatal results in March. Indeed, In March, Floyd had been hospitalized for days after nearly dying from the same drug he'd been given by his drug dealer in the SUV at the time of his the police confrontation, a fentanyl 
meth cocktail was in Floyd's system. And now, introduced on Wednesday, video, which is very hard to hear, but, you know, see what you can make of it. Video of Floyd in excruciating pain telling the cops, I've just eaten some drugs. You hear what he said? Uh, no, I can't make it out. Does it sound like he says, I ate too many drugs? Listen again. I can't make that out, no. Okay. Now, the state's witness couldn't understand what Floyd said, but maybe you can. Why did he eat the drugs? Because, as we found out from last week's testimony, it was something Floyd did to hide the evidence, and he'd done it before. The question is, did his drug dealer tell him to hide the evidence, i.e., let's eat the drugs, to get rid of the evidence? Did the drug dealer provide Floyd with the drugs? Did the drugs kill Floyd? They're playing hide the ball on what killed George Floyd, trying to stick it to Derek Chavon, or I'm getting closer, am I not? Now that everybody's redoing the pronunciation of his name. Bronca writes about this. If he provided Floyd with the drugs and that were likely the cause of death here, under Minnesota law, Hall is looking at third-degree murder. Naturally, he doesn't want to testify in the Chauvin trial, only to have that testimony used against him in his own trial. He's in jail, awaiting trial. There's no doubt that Judge Cahill will respect Hall's right to assert the fifth rights bronca. The only question is whether there might be some areas of questioning in which Hall could participate that do not incriminate him. But as you heard from that tape, well, it's going to be tough. Furthermore, Bronca asks the question in a follow-up to the testimony, did the agitated crowd, which forced the med techs and the cops to do a load and scoot, to tend to block to Floyd blocks away. They had to take him away to do that, to get him out of the agitated crowd. Furthermore, remember, it took the paramedics 11 minutes to get there, to get to the scene they were told to go to, but they had loaded and scooted. So before they got to Floyd, 11, 11 minutes had elapsed and they had lesser experienced med techs at the scene. They were waiting for the paramedics. Here is how ABC News and Terry Moran reported the day's testimony in part. Listen. From ABC News Live, the death of George Floyd, Derek Chauvin on trial. Good evening. Day six of the trial of Derek Chauvin for the killing of George Floyd has ended, and it was a day focused on a crucial question. Was what former police officer Derek Chauvin did to George Floyd, kneeling on George Floyd's neck for more than nine minutes, consistent at all with the policies and training of the Minneapolis Police Department? Did anything on that scene during that arrest justify Chauvin's actions? On an extraordinary move, prosecutors called to the witness stand the chief of police in Minneapolis, Medaria Arredondo, and in no uncertain terms, speaking with the authority of his office and his decades of experience on the force, Chief Arredondo told the jury that Derek Chauvin acted completely beyond the bounds of police department rules and values. Now, 
as someone pointed out, it might have been Bronca, it might have been uh, Barnes. If there's rioting because Chauvin isn't found guilty, which, I mean, judging by this week's testimony and last week's testimony is a, is a likely scenario if you're an honest juror. The crowd may be the gas, but the media holds the match. They need to explain this better than they are doing, which is why I'm spending so much time during my podcast to do this today. Ben Shapiro pointed out on Twitter, if you watch the actual Siobhan trial and then watch the media coverage of the Siobhan trial, the gap is stunning. The media are paving way for the riots by ignoring the prosecution's difficulties. And his acquittal is not a remote possibility based on those difficulties. And then he wrote, WAPO headline, trial to resume after training officer says an unauthorized neck restraint was used on George Floyd. And uh, Shapiro goes on, this ignores the actual takeaway from the use of force experts testimony. And there's another person on Twitter. There is, I'm reading here, at a very minimum, reasonable doubt about how George Floyd died and what role the drugs played in his death. Derek Chavon should therefore be acquitted, this person says. Well, not all the testimonies in, so it's a little premature. But if he is, you don't have to like him or believe he's innocent. Reasonable doubt is the standard, and that's all that matters. Well, so much has happened since those people wrote those things. And indeed... Bronca writes, so effective was the testimony of the medical coordinator for the defense that the defense has informed the court they may intend to recall her as a defense witness. That's how bad a day the prosecution had. Now, a week and a half into the state presenting its narrative of guilt for the jury until yesterday, writes Bronca, I would have characterized the prosecution's performance as weak, scattered, and not entirely internally coherent. All terrible traits when one bears the burden of proving guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Indeed, those are the traits that foster a reasonable doubt. Tuesday, however, was a genuine catastrophe for the state on a level I have not seen for a prosecution since the trial of George Zimmerman. But just when Bronca thought things got bad, they got worse. On Wednesday's prosecution, uh, the cross-examination by by, uh, Chauvin's attorney, this is what happened. Now, back on the witness stand, the police chief who yesterday and the day before had been touted as, oh my God, this is the this is the most important thing during this whole trial. That knee hold was not under Minneapolis Police Department training. What knee hold? Listen to this, because this happened in the cross-examination of the police chief who was asked to watch his own cop's body cam video of Siobhan and to tell him where the knee was. He helps him out. Uh, this, there's, a, in, there's a long pause in between, but just go with it. Chief, that from the perspective of Miss Frazier's camera, it appears that Officer Chauvin's knee is on the neck of Mr. Floyd. Yes. Sir. 
sorry, I didn't want to do that. Would you agree that from the perspective of Officer King's body camera, it appears that Officer Chauvin's knee was more on Mr. Floyd's shoulder blade? Um, yes. I have no further questions. See, the thing is that we've learned, and you and I know, we, we know this. You may have a video you may think that's all you need is the video, but you don't have all the video. And a reminder, Michael Brown never put his hands up and begged the cop not to shoot. Breonna Taylor was not in bed when the cop shot her after her drug dealing boyfriend shot at them first and they returned to fire. I bet you I bet you there's a huge percentage of people who don't know that. There are plenty of times that cops do the wrong thing, but that doesn't give Black Lives Matter and their allies in Antifa the right to lie about that. I remember that case out of Portland I told you about. Remember when I went on my Portland dystopian tour, my daughter and I did, when we happened upon a BLM protest on a Sunday morning and I asked their Antifa ally this question. This is a Black Lives Matter march. For what? Okay, what specifically? <laughs> Stop. Just in general? No, no, this is specifically uh, justice for Patrick Kimmons. Oh, okay. What happened to him? He was murdered. By, and when was that? Uh, 2018. Oh, that's what I thought. The quote-unquote murder victim, that guy, that white Antifa guy was talking about as he gave security for the Black Lives Matter protest over this guy, this particular person, that guy was a gangster who had just shot two people, gangland style, and was reported by his neighbors or the people around, desperately calling the police and who refused to put down his gun when confronted by the cops. You don't know. You really don't know. Three lessons. Not all cops are murderers. Not all criminals are angels. Not all stories are true. Until next time. Remember to subscribe, follow, rate five stars, and give me a great review over at your favorite podcast outlets, Apple, Google, and Spotify, to name the big boys. And follow me on social media. I'm over at Parlor, MeWe, Minds, Facebook, and Twitter, at Victoria Taft. Don't forget the Adult in the Room podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. At the Adult in the Room podcast, except Twitter only has room for the Adult in the, Adult in the, at Adult in the fine. It works. Get in touch with me at Victoria at victoriataft.com. Editing, mastering, advertising, technical support, and understanding for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft 
is by 1ACAST. The music is gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for the case of Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by RC, and it is used by permission. Find RC on all social sites at Raps by RC. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram at Raps by RC. Imaging for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1ACAST. Logo by Hageman Creative. Find him on Instagram. Photo of Victoria Taft is by Hilly Collective. The Adult in the Room podcast is produced by Flamingo Road Studios. All rights reserved.